Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, April 3rd, 2019 edition of our little weather get-together, our weather podcast, and uh, we thank you for joining us tonight. We are going to be talking with Doug Hildebrand. Uh, Doug is a familiar face. We had uh, Doug on a few months ago, I think back in November. Uh, but tonight we're going to be talking about uh, spring and summer hazards as well as uh, the self uh Safe Place Selfie, try saying that three times fast, uh, event that took place today. So uh, we welcome uh, Doug to our show. If you remember, he is an NC State grad, so he's got some ties and connections here to the Carolinas. So uh, we are happy to have Doug with us tonight. Uh, before we get to our interview, though, this is a live broadcast, and we'd love for you to come and interact with us. You can watch us right now via our YouTube page, our Facebook Live, and our Periscope stream. And if you're listening on the uh on the podcast version, we will also uh, welcome your comments, but you'll probably have to do that after this show gets posted on there. So we'll give out some social media accounts that you can follow and submit questions to. And if you're watching on our live broadcast tonight, if you have a question or comment, just uh, type it into the uh, comment bar and we will be monitoring those throughout the show. And if something comes up that you want us to ask, we will definitely do that. So uh, we are happy to have Doug on. Uh, this is show number 272. And for those folks who uh, maybe checking us out because you uh, watched the last month for National Weather Podcast Month. We welcome you and I'm happy to have you joining us tonight. So uh, we also encourage you to go check out the other weather podcasts. Just because March is over doesn't mean that you can't go check out the other weather podcast for uh, National Weather Podcast Month. So with that, I'm going to bring in our guest tonight, Mr. Doug Hildebrand. He is a graduate of NC State and works for NOAA and um, kind of heads up the Weather Ready Nation uh, Ambassador Program. So, Doug, welcome back to the show. Uh, how have things been going for you? Hey, it's great to be back. Uh, you know, there's always weather, so we're always busy. That is true, and we're kind of transitioning from uh, the winter season into uh, spring and, and summer, and we've already had an active start to uh, the severe weather season with uh, the tornado outbreak at the beginning of March and um, a couple of other uh, tornado events throughout the month of March. So uh, I want to kind of start with the uh, initiative that was going on today, the sell, uh, Safe Place Selfie. So I know you had a lot of interaction, and I know a lot of us here on the uh, Carolina Weather Group was able to tweet out our picture. So uh, first of all, Doug, if you don't mind, kind of tell us about the initiative and, and what it was intended for, and how did you do today with it? Well, it's been an incredible day. Uh, I got to say, we've this is now our fourth year uh launching this safe place selfie campaign we've done it differently every year um a couple of years back we you know would sort of have it a three-day event uh but this year we really wanted to kind of have everything focused at a time and a place um and so we encouraged everybody to do several things one find a hazard uh though naturally most people think of a safe place is for extreme winds, tornadoes, severe thunderstorms, but we really encouraged people throughout the country, pick a hazard that is, uh, you know, common in your area, sort of the bigger threats uh, that you face, pick a hazard, uh, find that safe location. Uh, obviously for tornadoes, you know, you want your strongest shelter possible. Uh, and I think we're gonna be talking a little bit more about that uh, in a little bit. Uh, but through the other, you know, hazards, you know, sometimes a car is a safe place and sometimes a car is the worst place. And so 
this whole day was about getting people to think about where they are, think about what hazards that impact them, and then do something fun, which isn't always associated with preparedness. Take a selfie, post it uh, on social media, and encourage others to do the same and have that conversation because, you know, sort of our take home message and what a safe place selfie is all about is that number one preparedness action. It's not an emergency kit. It's not a communications plan. It is knowing where you are uh, and where you need to be when extreme weather threatens you. And, and with that, that's where we can save lives and that's where we can reduce the immediate human impact uh, of these events. And Doug, I was, you know, searching throughout Twitter throughout the day, watching all of the <clears throat> initiatives. Um, not only was it severe thunderstorms and tornadoes, but I saw pictures of flash flooding, tsunamis and things like that. So uh, a lot of us kind of correlate tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, severe thunderstorms, but it's, it's more than that. It's floods, tsunamis and, and things like that. Mm. Absolutely. We had the West Coast was was targeting, uh, you know, or focusing on earthquakes, tsunamis, uh, wildfires. You know, where's your safe place? Uh, so we're trying to, you know, really educate people, you know, that your home should have a 30 foot buffer between the, you know, your your pine trees and, and other consumables from your home. Uh, with tsunamis, it's always get high and get uh, Get, get elevated and get inland, um, but even rip currents. Um, you know, it's been six, uh, spring break for the last couple of weeks and, and continuing here into April. Know your safe place from a rip current. What would that be? Number one, you gotta be near the lifeguard stand in between the flags. You know, don't go out into the water alone. There, there are things that you can do that completely avoids a bad thing from happening just by knowing where your safe place is and where it isn't. Definitely. So, so we're going to roll some video here, kind of talk about uh, the initiative and what took place today. And you maybe even see a few familiar faces in this video. All right. So as you can see, uh, a few familiar faces there with the uh, <laughs> safe place selfies. Uh, this was me in the basement here. Uh, it's uh, in a uh, interior closet that we have downstairs and I was gonna have my dog included but she just wasn't having her picture taken uh, last night here's uh, James in his safe place uh, in his downstairs uh, closet and, uh, looks like he's got some board games James you got monopoly I know I'm prepared to actually shelter in place for an extended <laughs> period of time uh, and so um, there's Evan and then you in the shower that's a good place to be <laughs> And then Jared, Jared's not here tonight. Um, he was at work today, and I think he's also in the bathroom as well. And uh, interior loads for and protect uh, protect yourself. And and that's one thing, you know, helmets and things like that. Melissa, this is you. I'll let you. You had your own experience just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the um, March third uh, event. Mm. We uh, we actually got to take our safe place selfie while we were uh, actually in place. Uh, uh, we were under a tornado warning at the time. My daughter and I have a ready, set, go type of system where if the watch comes out, we get the uh, safe place prepared. And so as soon as that warning hits, we're able to jump into our safe place. So 
that was us uh, taking that evening while we were uh, definitely, uh, and there were actually two tornadoes in Lexington County, not far from where we're located here in South Carolina. So it was a, it was a good thing that we did take shelter. Hmm. Definitely so. And so, it, and I know um, as we go through, there's Doug. <laughs> and, and so Doug, you were talking about uh, children, you know, in hospitals. That's right. And that's, that's something that, that we see every summer. So uh, last year, sadly, uh, 51, I think, was the final count uh, from 2018 of the number of children that were uh, killed in a hot vehicle. Um, many of them were, you know, the situation was a, a parent or a caregiver um, just simply got distracted. And, you know, it takes a second to sort of lose that situational awareness of who's in the car or maybe it's it's routine that's kind of been broken. You know where you know dad doesn't normally drop off the child at, at daycare but uh mom's not feeling well so dad's you know his his routine's broken uh we've seen stories like that and um you know having a one-year-old all the while i'm you know promoting you know hot vehicle safety I, my my safe place selfie was you know having that reminder in the car and i have a little piece of paper uh, that I put up on my dashboard when I do have uh, my daughter in the in the car. Um, it it just it's that little reminder, that little voice in your head that you know wherever I go with her, I know she's back there. Um, unfortunately, you know when the weather service and and sort of within the weather ready nation community, when we do post um, on a hot vehicle safety, there is a you know, it's very emotional and some people get emotional that, you know, you know, how could you be such a bad parent? Um, I even got from that safe place selfie today, you know, an angry man responding, uh, basically saying, you know, you get what you deserve if that's what you're going to do to your children. Um, and really, it's a mindset change that we're trying to work here where the first step to ensuring something like this doesn't happen is acknowledging that it could happen uh and i think that's very important and you know there are others um you know who are right by our side and and i know our social media team within the national weather service we're all very passionate we want that 51 uh you know total from last year to be zero in 2019 definitely so and if you wasn't able to participate maybe you uh, you didn't get to the 11 11 time frame <laughs> uh we still encourage you you can still tweet it out or facebook it out today right now if you want to uh we'd love to do that and doug i think you all had a a great turnout from this um have you got some preliminary preliminary numbers uh, that you so, can share with us so i do and these are as of 5 p.m eastern uh so as the the twitter traffic continues through the evening really you know into tomorrow and beyond uh but today strictly we had 20 27.2 million accounts reached on twitter uh 89 million tweet views or impressions and 2140 accounts tweeted their safe place selfie uh, this is the most that we've, we've had over the four years. Um, it, it really is impressive that the weather 
Ready Nation ambassadors, um, you know, groups like you. Um, but really, it takes everybody to speak with one voice. And when that happens, you get Safe Place Selfie trending. You get people uh, posting, wow, I saw Safe Place Selfie. This is certainly not what I was expecting. I always love those tweets. Uh, but just taking a few seconds, knowing where your safe place is and going there, <clears throat> it's very powerful when you're capturing the preparedness action as it happens versus, you know, having somebody read an article or, you know, go through it in their mind. What we want are the people to do it. Uh, and so those 2,104 or 2,140 accounts that are actually posting their safe place, you know, that's, that's great news for us. That is, I mean, that's impressive. It that kind of gave me some cold chills there. That was, uh, that's some good numbers. Uh, I see we have some comments here. Uh, one uh, person asking about where do you shelter during a storm? If you'll stick around, we've got a whole segment dedicated that to that towards the end of the show. Uh, Joshua Gosnell was talking about, uh, he lives in a mobile home and uh, he would go over to his grandparents' uh, house. So they have a safe and sturdy structure there. So uh, those are good reports mm -hmm. to have. So with that, I am going to uh, transition to Melissa because Melissa uh, is going to be kind of talking about our first uh, threat that we face in the summer and springtime. That's what tonight's show is all about. We're going to talk about different threats that we face and what you need to do and what your family needs to do to, to uh, be prepared for them. So Melissa, I'll let you kick off our uh, interview sec part. So one of the things that I, I wanted to just quickly discuss is a lot of the things that the Weather Ready Nation has, has done to, to really put preparedness at the forefront is creating um, these campaigns. So we have the spring summer campaign that we're talking about tonight. But they've also done recently, you guys have reached out to um, uh, different different groups and talk to them about ways to reach people such as like the hard and hearing and the visually impaired so that they can also get these preparedness messages. So could you just talk briefly about some of that interaction that you've had as you're creating some of these additional campaigns to help with those communities? Absolutely. And this is uh, also a, a real passion of mine. And we use the term weather ready nation and we add on for all. You know, a lot of times when disaster strikes, it is the most vulnerable who are, are most impacted. Um, and so instead of really talking to the choir and, and people who already sort of have a sense of preparedness and, you know, they're mobile and they can evacuate if they need to evacuate and they know exactly what they're doing. We're, it's always great to reach them, but we want to be able to reach those who, necess who don't necessarily have the ability to help themselves. And so it's, you know, it is Spanish as a, as a second language. Um, you know, uh, the story goes with Jop the Joplin tornado. Joplin has a, a large Spanish speaking uh, workforce that, um, that thankfully on Sunday was not um, in place for that tornado, but there was coming out of the, you know, the, the storm assessment that there is that need to be able to communicate, especially the most urgent times um, with, with other languages. And so our ambassadors are able, um, to fill that niche where, you know, as the weather service, we don't necessarily have all of the, uh, languages interpreted, but we have, um, health departments and, and other services at the local level that could do that. But, um, you know, we're looking at, at, at all these vulnerable populations, whether it's, it's Spanish, whether it's, um, 
mental uh, disabilities, the hard of hearing. So we're, we're providing content with American Sign Language, with uh, captions. Um, you know, we're using pictures instead of a lot of text so that it's more intuitive um, for, for anybody. And that kind of brings me back to um, actually getting into some of the topics. So the one topic that I'm going to talk to you or ask you some questions about is flooding. Um, being here in South Carolina, uh, dealing with uh, the devastation from uh, Hurricane Florence in, in North Carolina and South Carolina, um, the messages that you've put together for flooding, of course, a lot of people here, um, you know, TAD has been probably one of the, the biggest campaigns. Um, it's the one that gets a lot of um, publicity as, you know, turn around, don't drown. But there are these infographics, these these images that are also yep. communicate this information. We've got one playing right now talking about the, the difference between the, you know, what is a hundred year dry, uh, flood or a, a 500 year flood. Um, and so I know moving forward, you guys have have come up with some of these um, different campaigns um, as as events happen so that you're able to communicate that. And I believe that, was that the driving force between some of this new stuff that's come out um, for the flood campaign? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's it, it seems with every, you know, extreme event, there's, you know, one step forward and then another step back where, where there are lessons learned that people, you know, whether they've experienced the actual event or they've seen it on TV and they sort of, you know, they, they, they sort of learned from that experience, but then there's also that almost false sense of security. If it didn't happen to them, that it's, you know, somehow, you know, they have that, that risk bias that, you know, they're, magically immune to to that hazard um you saw a lot of the the probabilities and you know 100 year floods 500 year floods um you know people can make very bad uh conclusions from some of the uh some of these events and so if you you know we, we have a a small town here north of washington dc called ellicott city uh in maryland has been absolutely devastated twice now by incredible flooding uh, over you know the last two or three years. And so just because it happens this year doesn't mean that you're not going to see it, you know, next month or or next week. Um, you know, just sort of the the way the atmosphere works. We all know that uh, sometimes it can get stuck into a pattern, and and you can see some incredible flooding. That's one thing that we've really been affected by a lot over the last year in West North Carolina and the Carolinas as a whole for, uh, in all reality. But you know, Scotty and I have dealt with a lot of flooding threats. Um, so definitely this is one that uh, really you know, rings home for everyone across the Carolinas. So I'd like to transition now to some summer weather talk, uh, chatting about some beach threats. So we, we already kind of hit on rip currents, but uh, well, I guess we, if you want to go over, go over that again, uh, we can. But I kind of want to ask about big waves. Um, that's one thing that people think, you know, it's really enticing to go out and play in the 10-foot waves and there's a huge storm right. offshore. But um, that's, been, that's been a situation where you know, I find myself stuck out surfing and probably some waves that I should not have been out there in. Mm. Um, and th these are lessons that, um, you know, that sometimes you learn it and you get back to shore safely and sometimes that's not the case. So tell us a little bit about safety in those situations. So I, I, I want to preface this with, you know, you, you have to balance sort of the fear factor from, you know, people go to the beach to enjoy themselves, right? So we don't want to, 
inundate people with all the things that could go wrong and 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 sort of they become you know paralyzed with fear and aren't in, aren't able to enjoy the things that they they were looking forward to so, so starting with that um <clears throat> you know rip currents um you know the national weather service does do beach you know we, we do issue beach forecasts and we can um you know we, we can accurately give a sense of the conditions on the beach uh and so whether it's um rip currents longshore currents um you know rogue waves sneaker you know we call them sneaker waves or just large waves there are dangers inherent to that so always 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 and you'll you'll hear this you know be be near the lifeguard stand you know if if you're off uh, away from the crowds and no one's looking out at you and and especially if you're by yourself or you feel like you're an experienced swimmer you know a, a huge issue we have is people who you know their their children kind of grow up and they learn to swim in a pool pools are very different from the ocean and <clears throat> you may be a, a good swimmer in, in the pool but you get out into the ocean you know, your visibility is bad. You get these waves coming. Sometimes, you know, they'll be quick and they'll hit you and then you won't be expecting another one. Um, what I used to love doing is diving into diving into waves, but depending on the depth of the water, you know, we see this where there's tragedy, you know, people's necks, you know, they get seriously injured because they feel, they think they're diving into deeper water when really it's only about a foot deep especially if they miss the wave and they get the, uh, the trough after the wave. Um, you know, so we try to, you know, we, we want people to be informed because if they're informed, you know, they're much more likely to have that awesome vacation or awesome time in the ocean. Absolutely. <clears throat> You're talking about spring break earlier. Uh, I go to college in Charleston, South Carolina. So the beaches, especially as the weather is starting to get nicer and temperatures are warming up, uh, they'll be getting busy soon, but the cold, the weather, or the sorry, the water doesn't necessarily warm up to its yeah. max temperature of the year until what August, September. Um, so there's still a cold water issue through that time. You know, and so we have a cold water campaign. You know, and 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 I'll be honest. Uh, you know, when our when our more northern WFOs, you know, reached out to us last year saying, hey, you know, we're we're seeing these. Uh, these deaths and injuries from, from cold water, you know, it could be a 75, 80 degree day, sunshine. Um, you've been indoors or, you know, you've been suffering through winter for four or five months and you want to get out on the kayak and, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it's your first time out, you know, you dunk yourself and it's that shock of a, you know, 40 degree, um, water hitting you your muscles don't act the same you start to panic and uh you know so we're again we're trying to you know the the first step in preparedness and and for safety is acknowledging the the, the threat acknowledging that it could happen to you um you know people equate and we're working with our partners at the coast guard and and other you know maritime and and, and marine organizations what do you always hear? Wear your life jacket. But people think I can swim. I don't know. Why would I need a life jacket? 
but you get hit in the head, you lose consciousness, or you may be a great swimmer, but in 40 degree water, you need that life jacket. And a lot of yep. times it's too late when they, uh, you know, when they wish they had one. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to hop in here and, and, and add something also. And, uh, you know, that's just, you know, folks need to understand that, especially if you get caught in a rip current and you get taken, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards offshore through the surf zone. If you're calling out for help, there's a really good chance that nobody's going to hear you because of how inherently loud the surf zone and water, water really is. So, you know, just use your hands, you know, really try to get someone's attention yep. more or less with your hands versus your, your mouth. Yep. Then you got to get over it. You know, you got to get over the, the wave line, which is acting like a wall and, you know, absorbing that sound as well. Um, and, and, you know, try not to panic. Uh, and that's easier said behind a computer screen. Um, but we, you know, we have the, you know, the videos showing, you know, if you, if you know what a rip current is, you're much, you know, you're, you're less likely to panic if you're like, okay, I see I'm being pulled out to shore. I'm in a rip current. And, you know, just thinking it's, it's very simple steps. There it is on the screen. Getting away from a rip current is simple, but being in a rip current is extremely stressful and, and life threatening. And so, you know, you have these two forces of, you know, all you have to do is just sort of let the, the rip current take you where it wants you to go and then work your way back to shore and not, you know, an Olympic swimmer, you know, Michael Phelps stuck in a rip current could not overcome that rip current. And, you know, uh, Doug, <clears throat> if you panic you use a lot more energy uh trying to swim than if you just relax and go with the flow and try to swim out you know when you can it, it will help you out a lot uh but talking about uh the beach uh, high heat uh, brings uh, a lot of folks to the beach but uh heat in general can can be dangerous and it seems like every year uh in the months of july and august we hear about these heat waves and, and excessive heat so uh, can you talk to us a little bit about heat waves and, and the campaigns that you're doing for heat waves and, and why the heat is so dangerous? And after that, we can kind of go, go into uh, some of the, uh, the safety tips. Uh, sure. What you guys recommend. Sure. So I can, I can, I can speak personally to <clears throat> heat stroke and heat exhaustion because in 1999, I was a 26-year-old healthy uh, individual and I was at the New Jersey shore. So I'm right there. The water was actually um, probably 65 degrees. It was almost too cold to go in. Yet the heat index, it was over July 4th week, and the heat index was 115. <clears throat> and I went out, I played golf that day. And uh, that night, I was had all the signs of heat exhaustion and heat stroke. I was vomiting. I was not sweating. Uh, I had lived in a, you know, a cottage that didn't have air conditioning. Uh, I think that if I had fallen asleep in my bed in that cottage, I probably, I, I may have certainly would have passed out and been critically injured. If not, you know, something worse than that. Um, so it can happen to healthy people. It can help. It, it obviously can help. Uh, happen to elderly who are extremely vulnerable. 
to, to higher heat and humidity, uh, children, um, and, and one of the, the hidden dangers and really where we see the high fatalities is at night when people do go to bed, they don't have the air conditioning. Um, all the fan is doing is just blowing hot air. Uh, that's really where it, it wears you out. Um, but again, there are nice, you know, sort of simple uh, actions that you can take, taking breaks, drinking water, wearing loose, light colored clothing. Um, you know, if, if you're working outside, we've done an, a, a lot of partnership with the uh, Department of Labor and the uh, Office of Safety and uh, uh, Health or Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, um, on heat safety. And so there are, are steps that you can take to minimize your risk. All right, Doug, let's transition away from the heat discussion and chat a little bit about thunderstorms. Um, they're obviously more frequent, uh, especially here in the Carolinas in the summertime. We get lots of afternoon pop-up storms as we head into July and August. Um, but let's start simple, though, with the different severe categories. Sure. Uh, well, so, you know, the, the, the trick is, so, so there's the lightning risk, right? And any thunderstorm, of course, brings the, the lightning. And <clears throat> what's interesting is that our, our uh, categories of becoming a severe thunderstorm has nothing to do with, with lightning and the severity, the frequency of that lightning. Um, it really has to do with the winds. It has to do with any, um, you know, the, the hail size uh, and expected impacts. And so you can see up there on the screen, um, we have categories of probabilities of, you know, from no severe storms to marginal, slight, enhanced, moderate, and high. And that's, you know, there, there's been some criticism on, you know, the, the words that we've chosen, um, you know, is, is the slight really translate to the, the level of risk, right? I think as meteorologists, when we see a, you know, even a slight um, category that, you know, we sort of get a little energized from the possibility of, of there to be tornadoes, but, um, you know, the public would look at slight as being, well, it's really not gonna happen. Um, so a lot, of a lot of our challenges have to do with, with communication. Um, but you know we're able to contextualize these words, and and you know a, a slight area in Oklahoma is a little bit different, you know, than a slight risk up in the Northeast because the Northeast isn't as used to severe weather. So um, we always, you know, there are so many more thunderstorms, so many more uh, squall lines, and and impacts from from straight line winds. One one point, Evan, I'll make. Uh, and one of my favorite infographics that we have is, is sort of two images uh, of telephone poles down on both of them. One was created by straight line winds. One was created by a tornado. The impact's the same. And so we can get all excited about tornadoes and, and you know, how devastating they can be. But that, that straight line, 80, 90 mile an hour squall line can do just as much damage. 
Absolutely. And you're, you're talking about the slight risk days. And I think all the panelists would agree with me in that a lot of times those slight risks turn out to be pretty yeah. significant days, especially here in the Carolinas. We find that there's a lot of severe thunderstorm warnings uh, and tornado warnings issued occasionally on those days. So there's never a situation where you just sleep on the, the possibility of storms. It's, it's always there when there's a slight risk. So let's chat about, let's see, let's talk about boating. I wanted to bring that up earlier. So there's obviously a, a pretty significant risk when we're out in the lakes uh, and I yep. guess out in the ocean as well. And just last year, I think it was, there was a boat that capsized in Missouri during the storm and killed 17 people. And obviously <clears> that's, that's something that we, we never want to see, but how can people deal with safety in those situations? So when you're going out on the, you know, whether it's a lake or the ocean, um, a river, you're entering a vulnerable area, right? When it comes to taking action to, to extreme weather or you know weather threats. And so usually what that means is that you have to plan and you have to plan with more time than just if you're at home, right? It takes you five seconds to go from the front lawn when you're mowing the lawn to your house. It takes much longer to get from your fishing boat to the dock to shelter. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to be thinking in terms of risk, right? So, you know, if, if it's your ubiquitous 30% chance of thunderstorms, it seems to be every day happening in the summertime in the Southeast, uh, what do you, you know, how do you make a decision? And so you can do things like, you know, go out earlier in the day, make sure you're not you know, you're avoiding the uh, the middle to late afternoon. Uh, obviously, taking you know your cell phone that has a radar app. Um, you have you know professional meteorology built into the ways that you're communicating. So maybe you're not making the interpretation, but you know you have meteorologists helping you. Um, you're you're aware of all the different you know the WIA alerts and the you know, you maybe have your NOAA weather radio. Um, those actions, you know, 30 minutes to, to 60 minutes, that's that's the time where your decisions may, you know, turn the tide one way or another, not to use a marine pun, but, um, <clears throat> you know, I would liken going out on a lake uh, in a very similar way of if you're out in uh, – a national park and you're going for a, a two hour hike, you know, and there's no shelter whatsoever, you got to be much more aware of what the weather conditions are going to be for the next several hours. Definitely. And the, um, the, 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 reminds me of the story of last year, especially camping is a lot of risk because I was out in the Outer Banks last year. I'd kayaked out to a remote part, um, only about 200 yards wide out there between the ocean and the sound. And there's just no shelter when a storm rolls in and, Learn that lesson yeah. uh, the hard way. It was just a scary experience and everyone have again. Um, real quick, before we move on to Chris and Tornado Chat, let's chat about the difference between watches and warnings. So, <laughs> <laughs> when you see a watch, that means that you need to be aware of the conditions and how they evolve. So watch is just, you know, it, it's sort of teeing everything up. The conditions are right, but do we want you to go to your basement when there's a watch? No. But we want you thinking, where, you know, where am I going to go? Where is my safe place? 
um, what vulnerabilities do I have during this, you know, oftentimes a two or three hour period. Um, and again, it's, it's that longer term planning that makes the transition from a watch to a warning much easier if you're, if you're planning out. So there you see, you know, your tornado warning, you may have, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes to take immediate action. And, and the word immediate is, is very important. We don't want you to hesitate or, you know, wait too long because you want to get three or four or five different sources telling you that you're in danger. You really want to take that immediate action, then maybe look for a secondary or tertiary um, confirmation, but always take, you know, that, that hesitation can be deadly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, ju just jumping into uh, the tornado topic here, you know, with the Lee County tornado, we, we obviously yeah. saw earlier this year, you know, 23 people were, were fatally injured by that tornado in Lee County, Alabama, and just going, you know, with some of the watches and warnings and some of the, I guess the, the, the terms that you often hear on TV, uh, just talk to our, our guest about, uh, you know, tornado watches, warnings, and even some special things that you might not hear that often, like a tornado emergency or even a, a particularly dangerous situation. A lot of us like to call the PDS. Right. So, so, you know, the tornado emergency is, is think of it as a ultra warning, you know, it's where a, you know, a, a confirmed tornado is impacting a, a populous area where we're seeing damage, um, you know, and it's, it's a, you know, the grimmest of grim situations where, where people are in imminent danger and they, you know, if, if they haven't gotten the warning, you know, they absolutely must act. And, and it's, you know, the, the hesitation in my voice right now is a tornado warning should be enough for people to take action. The tornado emergency just sort of adds that, <clears throat> that reality of, of the situation, the certainty of the situation and the expected, um, you know, big impact on, on the community that it's issued for. Uh, same thing with a with a flood emergency is is you know the the conditions are there it's happening and you need to take immediate action. Right, and, and just you know, kind of going forward, <clears throat> just to give folks some insight, I, you know, I, I believe I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I know the Lee County tornado ended up being a tornado emergency as it started to approach the Georgia line near Columbus, but uh, wasn't the Columbus EF three also a tornado emergency, uh, or you know, a couple weeks before that. Yeah, I, I I don't have the details right. uh, off my head, um, but again, it's it's go down, go back to those basics. Um, it's it's not hesitating. It's making sure that you have multiple sources of information. Um, you never know when when the you know the the cell tower nearest you gets impacted by the severe event. Um, you know, that's why we always encourage having the NOAA weather radio, having your cell phone, um, knowing the, the, the positives and negatives of a tornado siren. Uh, and I know in the, in the deep south, you know, those are used much more often, um, you know, to alert people, but, but they're meant for people outside, not 
for the entire community uh, where you would hear it somewhere. Rely on your, your TV meteorologists. Absolutely. And, and if I could do a, uh, a quick public service announcement, you know, have mercy on your TV meteorologists if they're breaking in with your favorite TV show. They are saving, if not your life, somebody's life in, your, in the viewing area. And uh, it, it's always good to just have that respect and, and you know, dignity of, uh, of the, the great job that our TV meteorologists do. Right. And, uh, you know, just continuing to go on to that, you know, moving a little bit past the watches and warnings, you know, how about some of your graphics you guys have, you know, basically, you know, like what is a tornado? You know, what are the different types, uh, you know, the EF rating that uh, you hear folks discuss a lot and uh, some, yeah. maybe, maybe some myths? Yeah, and they're all action oriented. Uh, we we don't, you know, we, we try to minimize the, you know, the message that gives you information, but not, doesn't drive action. Uh, we wanna drive action. In fact, you know, if you boil down what Weather Ready Nation is all about, it's it's knowing your risk, taking action, and, and being an example for others and, and having this force multiplication. But, but you're absolutely right. It's, um, you know, the more you learn, not only about the safety, but the, you know, sort of the fun weather dynamics um, and a lot less of the myths that happen. We, we have a lot of myths with lightning, with tornadoes, you know, the whole opening up of your windows as a tornado approaches, bad idea. Um, all you're doing is is you're sort of just letting all the the wind and the damage into your home. Uh, you want to be as sealed as as much as possible. You want to be away from windows. Um, you want to be away from uh, you know heavy heavy things above you. So even you know we we tell people to go to basements. But there are, you know, better locations in your basement than other areas. Uh, you want to be away from a chimney. You know, we get chimneys that either implode or fall over into the basement. Um, you want to get, you know, you want to start thinking about where in your house the best location is. Um, automobiles is tricky, Chris. We could talk forever on. Absolutely. <laughs> you know that, that's something that you know was you know of course a hot topic on social media you know the past couple of weeks and, and you know sometimes i hate to say it but i think you might would agree you know there's not going to be a great answer for every situation that everybody could be faced in and you know just being able to act upon the the knowledge you have beforehand and having a plan in place is probably the best action that you could ever tell anybody to have uh could not agree more with that uh we saw it with deadly consequences um Especially, I think in the in the El Reno tornado, where in Oklahoma, um, where people were doing basically the right thing, which was they got out of their their vehicles, they saw sort of a low lying drainage area, even drainage pipes, they sought shelter from the tornado, only to drown from the flash flooding. So. As much as we love to, you know, have our top line safety messages, it's all dependent on the situation. And, and a lot of times we can't anticipate the, you know, cocktail of, of dynamic, you know, of, of hazards that are, 
ongoing. It's why hurricanes are so hard. It's because there's so many hazards that, that are created by the hurricane, um, which is why we want you not to be there. Um, but we, you know, what we've done from the weather service point of view, Chris, is really get specific. You know, we, we have a great, one of my favorite infographics is a, is a tree safety to your home. You know, why don't we want you to grow to, to go out and drive? Because not only is driving dangerous, but you have tree limbs falling and whether they're on the road or on the, on the car themselves, your home, there may be one side of the home that's more vulnerable to large trees than the other. Right. Right. And, you know, just to go, to go on with that, you know, you got, you got blinded sideways rain. There's just so many things that are going on. Yeah. And plus most people are going to be in a state of panic. And, you know, all it takes, especially once you have an adrenaline rush is one bad mistake for that mistake to, to be you know deadly. And I, I don't want to see it. And I know it's, it's a really tough thing, especially with like the storm shelter conversation about the Southeast, you know, there's just going to be circumstances where, there's not a great answer for everyone. And the best answer is just to plan uh, to whatever gives you the best, best That's right. possible outcome. That's right. And, and the, the best, the best action has to be taken well in advance of say the tornado. And it's, it's you where if you're not prepared and if you're not thinking um, that this could happen to you, You've got five minutes, but you have nowhere to go. And talking about that, Doug, um, let's roll to one of the new uh, newest infographics that you guys <laughs> uh, just came out with. I think it was Monday. We'll kind of fast yes. forward a, uh, or rewind a couple weeks ago. Uh, as you and Chris were talking about, we've had several severe weather outbreaks in the southeast, yeah. uh, notoriously the one in Alabama that uh, claimed 23 lives. And the big discussion was sheltering. So. Uh, here for the, the last few minutes of our conversation. That's something I want to talk about. Yep. And uh, one of the graphics that uh, we have here is the uh, tornado <clears throat> sheltering guidelines. I saw this Monday. I was like, man, that this is an awesome graphic. So uh, kind of talk to us about this, the uh, maybe the backstory and how you guys came to these conclusions. So this is a uh, this is probably my number one sort of emotional tie to all the weather safety, you know, the, 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 the hot vehicles and, and, and the children is, is, you know, one a and one B here, but there's, you know, the tornado sheltering, when you read a national weather service tornado warning in the call to action, it says, you know, seek substantial shelter. And there really isn't a whole lot of documentation of infographics of just you know what's what's the safety information i need to know when it comes to what substantial shelter is and so we've got all these options from from best to worst and you know it, it's a meteorological problem it's a engineering problem it's a social science problem it is a very practical pragmatic issue of you know if you tell people to evacuate a certain shelter well now you've got people on the on the roads so you have to look at you know unintended consequences and and sort of this uh 
you know, you change one thing for the better, but you're creating something for the worse. Um, but if you look there, you know, the, the best options are pretty straightforward. You know, be in a safe room or under, you know, in a storm shelter, uh, that will give you the best chance of survival, even with the uh, EF4, EF5s. Um, but what really gets sort of in the controversial discussion, you know, that again, we could, we could take an entire podcast just on this infographic, is where we go from good options to bad options and then to the worst options. Um, in the news recently, even, you know, after the, uh, you know, the, the, the tragic tornadoes in Alabama and Georgia, um, you know, people hovering underneath overpasses, not only is that bad from a tornado uh, perspective, it's really dangerous from a traffic safety uh, issue. Um, and so we put that in the worst category. You know, we spent a lot of time and there, there was a lot of discussion and a lot of, um, frankly, debate uh, and differing points of view when it, came, when it came to distinguishing between mobile homes and manufactured housing. Um, they are two different construction practices. Um, I think many of you have probably seen the video of the tornado recently that spun over the, uh, you know, the, the trailer, trailer park or, or recreational area. And one of the trailers got caught and just blew apart. Um, and my guess looking at the video is, is you know, that wasn't a intense tornado. Um, manufactured housing is, um, you know, talking to wind engineers, talking to construction engineers. Um, it's actually built, the, 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 the box itself is actually well built. You know, it's built in controlled conditions in a factory uh, versus out in the elements, but the issue is still the anchoring. So if you have a well-built box, but the anchoring isn't able to, uh, to, to stay intact, well, now you've, you've got big issues. And so um, I think we, we created a happy medium in some areas, but it goes, uh, I think, Chris, it was your point. You know, there are so many other different factors. You know, it's, it's the health of the resident. Um, you know, are they able to be mobile? Um, sometimes if you have a, you know, if you have a, an SUV, you know, and it's a heavy car and it's out in the driveway, we want people to evacuate their mobile home and go into their car. Um, you know, it, 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 I liken it, uh, you know, if you've ever played blackjack, <laughs> if the dealer is showing 10 and you're holding 16, whether you hit to try to get, you know, a, a try to get 21 or you, you know, you stay, you're in a bad situation. The chances of you losing to the dealer in that situation is, you know, is high either way. So if you're deciding whether you want to go to a, a car or your mobile home or your manufactured home to, you know, a gymnasium, you know, anything with a, with a wide roof, those are bad, you know, we want you 
to find better shelter. And whether that's three hours ahead of, you know, a tornado warning, or you have that plan where you have five minutes and you know that neighbor that you need to get to. Right. And, and you know, I want to jump in here real quick, Scotty. That was something I actually discussed on, on my Facebook page, uh, you know, a couple a couple weeks ago. You know, I was asking folks, you know, what are some things they, they didn't know and trying to make it as educational as possible. And, and this is one of the hot topic things. And one of the biggest things I encouraged was, you know, for folks that do live in susceptible situations, whether it be housing, uh, you know, social situation that, that just isn't the best, you know, Basically plan before, find, find the person that's got the closest house to you or closest good structure and, and, and go knock on their door and, and have a chat and you know really try to build that relationship and have have a plan in place before an event to where you can at least, you, you can at least go for shelter for a few minutes. You know, I, I don't know anybody that's going to turn someone away from shelter. And, uh, you know, if we just get more people to do that, I think it could really help. Definitely. So and that, that kind of leads into um, the last graphic that we're wanting to discuss. And uh, that's uh, delivering the right message. And I know this is kind of built with hurricanes, but uh, we could also translate that into tornadoes as well. And so, Doug, this is a new graphic that uh, you all have come out with as well. We know in the past couple of years here in the southeast from the Carolinas to Florida to Texas, we've all experienced uh, tropical storms and hurricanes yep. and, uh, you know, social media urologists <clears throat> and, 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 and people like that share so much information that eventually the consumer or the, the general public, they, they just zone everything out because there's so much stuff coming in uh, that they don't know what to believe. So you guys have kind of, um, kind of realized that and you've made this infographic uh, to kind of talk about what people need to do when these hurricanes, tornado events are, are bearing down on them. Yeah. So incredibly enough, uh, hurricane season starts in less than two months. Um, and so, you know, last, last fall, uh, not knowing we were going to have Florence, not knowing we were going to have Michael, uh, we constructed this, with um, a lot of input from the National Hurricane Center and, and others. But, you know, within the Office of Communications at, at National Weather Service headquarters, and, you know, we live and breathe through the social media, you know, the, the, you know, the big national accounts of the National Weather Service. And we, we see a lot of things um, being said back and forth uh, from, you know, well-established media outlets to, you know, somebody who has absolutely no education in meteorology, you know, basically posing as some kind of expert that we need to be sort of, you know, it's the wild, wild west out there on social media, right? And, you know, as a consumer, you have to realize, you have to really be smart and, and take the time to say, you know, what sources do I trust and what sources, you know, maybe they're entertaining, but I'm not going to bet my life on them. And so what we tried to do is, is direct all of that, you know, all of the chatter and all of the messages that go everywhere within social media and try to boil down of, hey, you know, here are some real fundamentals of, of how to communicate on hurricanes, on the impacts, and and what it means to the average citizen, um, and you know, 
you may agree with all of them. You may agree with some of them, but uh, you know, we're going to be continuing to do this and, and reshape and, and maybe even drill down. So you may see us break some of these down even further. Um, we also might tackle other, other uh, weather phenomena, you know, winter storms, you know, one, one model run of some ensemble member, you know, gives, uh, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina, you know, two feet of snow and someone's going to tweet about it and, you know, call for Armageddon. And, uh, you know, it, it can be downright irresponsible. And so that, that's what we're trying to do with this is really shape the, the, the enterprise and the, and the people who are communicating on weather to, to take these to heart. And that's um, that's very important to, to remember as we really dive into severe weather season and in a hurricane season. Doug, we really appreciate your time. Uh, I, I hate that we kept you so long, but it's, it's been a, it's the fastest hour, man. <laughs> it's uh, it's been a very intriguing conversation, and I honestly think that uh, we could probably do another hour of this. And we've always uh, always Anytime. Always enjoy having you on. It's always a, a great conversation when you're with us, and it seems like time flies by. So that means you know what we're going to ask next. You're going to have to come back. So hey. uh, we, we'd love to have you back. Before we do that, uh, give us some uh, some social media sites, websites that our followers and viewers uh, can keep up to date with uh, the latest information coming out uh, from, from you all and some uh, good sources that they can uh, relay on as we uh, enter this uh, severe weather season and, and eventually hurricane season. Well, I'll, I'll say, you know, and I probably used the same website last time, but it's weather.gov slash WRN. Uh, Melissa, all of the, you know, vulnerable populations, you know, that we've discussed, there's a website on our Weather Ready Nation homepage. Uh, every hazard that we discussed, there's safety material. Every infographic that was shown is available for people to download, use as they uh, you know deem appropriate. Um, we are a government agency. Our information is, you know, ultimately paid by the taxpayer, and so it is yours. Take ownership of it. Um, but you know, at our Weather Ready Nation site, there is a treasure trove of information. Uh, take some time. Um, Take a look at it. If there are viewers out there who aren't familiar with with the Weather Ready Nation Ambassador Initiative, we are probably going to reach 10,000 ambassador organizations by the end of the year, uh, which is exciting. But but more than that, you know, every day of of uh, you know my job, I I get sent a success story from somebody in how we are all building a weather a nation and, and government can't do it alone um and it's these conversations that we had tonight that are uh, that are so awesome and, and really take a giant step forward so thank you all i thank you for joining us doug and i'll tell you i'm i'm one too i i think i've downloaded almost every infographic you've produced <laughs> and i'm sure there's some that i have not come across yet so uh, we really appreciate uh, you and your team's efforts for what you do to uh, help keep everyone safe, and uh, we appreciate your time. Um, stick around if you want to. I'm going to toss it to uh, James Bryant, sure. who has some uh, some of our weather headlines uh, throughout the week. James. 
Doug, Scotty, panel, thank you so much. It is 9.19. We're going into uh, Carolina Weather Group overtime, but we do have some news uh, headlines that we want to share with you for the uh, weather community and the news enterprise. And we're also going to be going to our weather roundtable momentarily and uh, answering some of your questions, comments, and even had a few forecast requests. So we'll be getting to those in just a moment. But what a difference a day makes. A high of 70 degrees here in the Carolinas, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina today. And this was yesterday. It was snowing outside of our control center here in Charlotte. And you watched it live on the live streams of the Carolina Weather Group, so many of you did, because what just a bizarre day it was. Now, again, we talked about this yesterday morning on a special live stream we did. Snow in April is not unheard of, but it's not frequent. So it was a nice rare event. Here's a look at some of the uh, snow totals we got from across the region. Most people, if you even saw any snow, and by the way, in order to see the snow, you really kind of had to be along that I-85 corridor, uh, saw a coating. A coating that was gone by lunchtime, but we had this very localized situation playing out in Union County, North Carolina, near Monroe, where they had almost two inches of this stuff fall yesterday on April the 2nd. And we even had reports of sleet going all the way up to uh, Greensboro and uh, towards the Triangle. Meanwhile, out on the coast, it was a whole different ballgame. The same storm system that was bringing winter weather to the I-85 corridor was bringing tropical storm force wind conditions to the Outer Banks. Reports of wind gusts up to 60, maybe 70 miles an hour. This one coming from a weather flow station on uh, Avon Pier recorded a wind gust of 61 knots or about 70 miles an hour and if i'm not mistaken although it's not on this graphic here i believe they also had some beach erosion some localized coastal flooding because we had such a strong system off the coast yesterday that if you were out over the water in a boat in a cruise ship you actually would have been in a hurricane force wind warning that's how much uh, pressure gradient and uh, wind we had going on with this storm is absolutely incredible. All right, shifting gears, take a look at this video that came in over the weekend. What the heck is that in the sky? Is it a bird? It's a plane? It's a meteor that not only was seen from the ground across the southeast, but also was captured on the GOES lightning mapper, the tool that normally shows us lightning in the sky, was actually showing us the path of this meteor. So how cool is that? It was captured from above and from below. More video to uh, show you now. This as we shift gears and move into, uh, you know, it's actually a great complement to the conversation we were just having about flooding. In 500-year floods don't have to come just every 500 years. And that's what state and international water rescue teams were practicing for this week on Lake James and the Catawba River near Morganton. Boats and aircrafts from North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, Connecticut, and even some from Canada, Mexico, Chile, and the United Kingdom took part in this exercise, and this is video you can see that was posted, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, by the Charlotte Fire Department as they're practicing water rescue here, and I think we've got a rescue swimmer dangling from a helicopter, so pretty uh, intense stuff there. The other story that uh, we are reading and wanted to share with you comes ahead of hurricane season. I'm going to paraphrase a little here from a CNBC report, but AT&T is paying the United States Department of Energy National Laboratory 
Laboratory to predict climate-related events that could damage the company's infrastructure over the next 30 years. Uh, the president of operations for AT&T said that their model that they're developing will help guide them on decisions whether to elevate cell sites in the area uh, or to build protection around those cell sites to make sure that they can sustain uh, weather events, major climate events such as higher winds, and rather than just relying on a 10-day weather forecast, they're also going to be using that climate data to find out whether or not they need to strengthen their network, their copper lines, their fiber cable locations, cell sites, and other infrastructure to sustain more weather events. And uh, Scotty, I think we'll be learning a little bit more about that uh, in the coming weeks, as I'm not mistaken, as we look ahead to hurricane season. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. As I actually uh, got a phone call from AT&T today. They're going to come on our show uh, towards the end of summer into uh, kind of the peak hurricane season to talk about this. So uh, pretty excited about that. And one other thing I want to comment on before we go to the roundtable, uh, the Catawba flood exercise, which uh, the video you saw of the Black Hawk helicopter that actually was taking place here where I live. And it's been pretty unique. Uh, folks have been uh, in the county for about five days. It just wrapped up today. And it never failed. Every day you'd see Black Hawk helicopters flying in the sky and uh, a lot of area uh, uh, waterways and things like that here in the county. So a lot of folks actually I live about half a mile from the Catawba River and about a mile from the Johns River. So I had Black Hawks everywhere around my house yesterday afternoon and evening as they were participating in uh, these uh, search and rescue efforts uh, for flooding. And we know here in the Carolinas, both North and South Carolina, we've had our fair share of um, flood events with hurricanes and uh, tropical storms and even just um, floods. So uh, it's uh, an exercise that was uh, that was conducted here, and I, I think it really got a lot of uh, good reviews. And hopefully, uh, these uh, folks never have to do it. But the way the weather's been trending, I'm sure we'll see more major events uh, that this uh, practice will be uh, useful for. So, James, back to you. Uh, Scotty, I appreciate that. And uh, for our live viewers, we got a few minutes left in tonight's program. You've already been commenting live with us tonight on Facebook, Periscope, and YouTube. And we're actually showing some of those on the screen right now. We want to have a little bit of a real-time conversation with you. And actually, some of you reached out during tonight's interview while you were uh, receiving that information from Doug and listening to what he had to say. You were also saying, can I get a forecast for Greenville, North Carolina? And somebody else, I think, put in one for Charleston. And while I think we can probably do this all night, night long. I think we can uh, make that happen. Let's start with Evan Fisher, who is in Charleston. Evan, what's the weather looking like the next few days? Yeah, so today was a remarkable turnaround from uh, yesterday and the cold weather and the rain. It's just a nasty day across all the Carolinas. Um, so we're looking at temperatures right around 70, maybe into the low to mid 70s through Friday. More rain will move in on Friday, about a half an inch. Uh, and then as we move into the weekend, temperatures will be warming up into the upper 70s and near 80 degrees. Um, scattered showers again through Saturday and Sunday. So maybe not necessarily perfect beach weather, um, but it's not going to suck. Not going to suck. That is the official forecast terms from Evan Fisher, and that is a good way to put it. Uh, Scotty Powell, I think we deputized you to uh, look at Greenville, North Carolina. Yeah, so I'll do Greenville, North Carolina, but let's, let's just do the whole state of North Carolina. Tomorrow's going to be another fantastic day. Uh, temperatures are ranging in the low to mid-70s. We're going to see a cold front move through Thursday night into Friday morning. That will go from west to east. So the mountains, foothills, you'll see at first. And then eventually it'll go through the Piedmont off to the Greenville area along the coast. And uh, after that, uh, like the uh, Evan was saying maybe a half an inch, an inch of rain possible Friday, but it's a quick moving system. So uh, hopefully by Friday afternoon, the sun will be back out. Saturday looks to be spectacular. 
watch out for the pollen because we're going to get near 80 degrees and that's really with the rain and and the warm temperature is really going to see those flowers and, and trees really start to produce some pollen. And then we see a, a scattered chance of a shower or thunderstorm on Sunday. Uh, very uh, scattered, maybe 30, 40% chance at most. So it should be a good Sunday, again, with temperatures uh, around 80 degrees in the uh, Piedmont and the eastern part of North Carolina, maybe in the low 70s in the mountains. And then uh, we turn our attention to uh, next week as another storm system moves through. And it could be our first chance to see um, kind of a broad area of thunderstorms move through the area. We'll have to see if they're um, on the strong severe side. A little too far out to tell right now, but it does look like our uh, thunderstorm risk will go up as we go into early next week. But overall, it's going to be a pretty good weekend besides the uh, rain chance on Friday morning and uh, those uh, isolated thunderstorms on Sunday afternoon. I think it's a great weekend to be outside and enjoy the, enjoy the warm weather. I think, fingers crossed, we're done with that cold wintry mess. I think climate data is on your side. And you mentioned pollen. I was telling folks yesterday that we could have made pollen slushies here in Charlotte because we just had this green powder on the ground that was mixing up with the sleep. Before we go, let's bring in Chris Jackson. He, as always, is keeping an eye on South Carolina, the Midlands, the upstate. Chris, how we look in the next few days? I imagine it's probably much of the same. Yeah, probably much of the same. You're right, James. Uh, uh, going through Friday, uh, looking for tomorrow, how about 75? Then Friday, uh, right around 70 with showers for the most part, better part of the day on Friday with, uh, you know, half half to three quarters of an inch of rain possible. Then going into the weekend, it's going to look it's going to look really nice with highs, you know, uh, around 75 to 80 degrees, maybe a little bit warmer. There's, uh, there's warmer locations. And then uh, Sunday, Sunday afternoon, there'll be another little system approaching the area, and it's, it, and it's going to be kind of uh, – Kind of interested on the timing of it, but uh, definitely see the chance for some thunderstorms on Sunday afternoon and throughout uh, the early Sunday evening hours. And looking ahead to next week, you know, it, it temperature-wise, it's going to be really nice with highs right around 80 every day. And uh, overnight lows are, are really starting to increase now with uh, uh, lows each morning, you know, 55 to 60 degrees. So that's going to really uh, help enhance that pollen uh, for the next week or so. Chris, thank you very much. Let me send it over to uh, Scotty Powell to wrap up tonight's show. All right, thank you, James, and I am stoked that we're finally in the uh, 70s and 80s. I am ready for uh, summertime weather. So, again, uh, we appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, Doug, thank you again for joining us. Uh, be sure to check out the Weather Ready Nation website, and we will see you back here next Wednesday night for another episode of the Carolina Weather Group. The subject next week is insurance and weather, and if you're uh, hopefully uh, we'll talk about flood insurance and things like that to get you uh, ready for uh, the uh, spring and summer um, weather season with severe weather and, and hurricanes to come. So we're going to kind of continue this uh, weekly series uh, this month of uh, uh, being prepared. So next week we're going to talk about insurance and weather and what you need to do to be prepared. So until next week, uh, we hope you have a great weekend. If you have any outdoor activities going on, We'd love for you to send them our way. Maybe we can feature those in our show next week. So have a great weekend. Enjoy the warm weather. And we'll see you back here next Wednesday night for another episode of the Carolina Weather Group.